thank you for this time of fellowship we have together, encouraging one another the truth of your power and strength over all things. You are our provider and our protector and our God. We worship you together this morning. Thank you for all we have.
why we have a special treat coming up here. So I'm going to give them the cue to start making their way up here. And I got a couple of announcements. So second and third graders start heading up this way. Let's see if we have any second and third graders out there. I see one. You're not in second grade, but that's all you can come to, Kristen. That's fine. Awesome. All right. A couple of announcements while we get them ready and get them into costume. The uh, Wham! is out front. Of course, they're selling the raffle tickets for the big Beast Feast, which is coming up. Uh, lots of great prizes to be won. The proceeds, all of which go to help our missions around the world and Burma and Thailand and wherever else they need help. Uh, those guys are always stepping in uh, into the gap to help out and raise a lot of money. So, uh, you know, uh, buy yourself a raffle ticket and maybe you'll win. Last year, um, a, a five-year-old girl won this 50 caliber Barrett rifle. And it's, it's pretty impressive to see her shoot it. So you too can win. <laughs> And also Operation Christmas Child's going on. We're going to talk a little bit about more about that in a second. But next week is the last week for you to drop off boxes. What do we have here today? Where did you guys all come from? Did you sneak up behind me when I wasn't looking? What are you going to do? Are you going to sing? Do you know the words or are you just going to make them up? All right, let's do this. Jesus loves me. everybody. Come on, Rio. Congratulations. Okay, come on down. Good job. All right. We're going to stay around and worship some more. Let's hope you guys can do as good a job as they do. For the rest of you kids, can head on out to Kids Church. And adults, we're going to stay here and talk about Jesus. All right, give me some. All right, all right. Fish bump. Whoa. So 
Amen? I was talking earlier, and I said, you know, the, the thing I like, part about that song I like is early on when he's talking to the course, and he says, you know, after all you've done for me, for us, all of us sitting in this room, I got, what do I have to offer? He's like the little drummer boy, you know, what do I have to offer? And all we have to offer is our heart. And amazingly enough, the one thing that we really have to offer is the one thing he really wants, and that's our hearts. And once he's got a hold of that, once he's got a hold of that old heart and throws it away, and he's got that new heart, man, he can really start to move in us, amen? He can really make amazing things happen. And he can move in the world in amazing ways, too. And as we're about to see in this Operation Christmas Child video here in a second, um, when we give, when we uh, give of everything we have, um, it's amazing the things that he can take, no matter what, no matter how small it is that we think we have to give, even something as small as the faith the size of a mustard seed, God can, can make a mountain out of it. So let's pray as we get ready to take up the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, all the things that we have, you gave us, everything including this life. We give back to you in some small measure, and we ask that you take this you multiply it like the fish in the loaves, and you spread it out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. we got a nice little video for you. Honduras is a beautiful country. We have about 8 million people here. The majority of the people in Honduras are very young in age. There's great things taking place in Honduras. There's a tremendous revival taking place. Operación Niño Navidad es una oportunidad que Dios está dando a los niños de Honduras para poder conocer a Jesucristo y poder saber de que Dios les ama. With Operation Christmas Child, we work with national leadership teams who in turn go and equip local churches. And the local church then can do outreach, evangelism, discipleship, and impact their communities for Christ. When uh, the shoebox is open, I am pretty sure many things are changing in their lives. When they uh, open the, the box, this is an explosion inside of them, an uh, explosion of happiness and uh, enjoying this uh, this moment is is amazing i really love the distribution the kids are playing are laughing are joyful <laughs> you can feel the presence of god Boxes, they participate in the Samaritan's Purse Discipleship Program, The Greatest Journey. We're seeing an entire generation being raised up of evangelists, of multipliers, of agents of mission, children sharing Jesus with their friends, with their family, and entire communities being transformed for Christ.
Prisma Shire is doing an amazing work in my country. It's, it's something so special because we can see right now many life changes, families, and uh, all the population in my country is feeling, receiving, and enjoying the new hope through Operation Prisma Shire. Praise the Lord. Isn't that just amazing to see the smiles on those kids' faces? It just, they've never gotten anything like this before. And, and, and what's so awesome about this program is they get the boxes and they see that people around the world, all over the world, care about them. And they get things, and those things are great. But you know what? They're going to outgrow the clothes. Uh, the toys will break. But what they follow up this whole unveiling of the shoebox with is this discipleship program. So you take these little hearts and these little kids, and these kids are wondering why people all around the world care about them. And the teachers get to turn around and say, because they hope that you'll understand that the bigger story here is Jesus Christ, and let me teach you about him. Because he's what's moving in them, causing them to care about you. And they pick up on this. And you know what? When they get that in their hearts, and you go to, you see these third world countries where so much is broken, there's so much poverty, there's so much corruption, there's so much of everything, but we can really make a difference. We can really change an entire generation, change the entire uh, uh, momentum of a country. Uh, It's going one way, but we can bring Jesus into it and turn the ship around and they can go an entire, and just think about what this next generation of kids, the impact that they can have on their world. You have the opportunity to do that. And all you got to do is grab one of those boxes that are out front, fill it up with love, fill it up with prayers, and send it off. And, and you know you're going to make a huge impact um, from right here in Fairbanks. You know, it's, it's amazing. Millions of shoe boxes go out, and they make such a huge difference. Next week's the last week to drop things off. If you need more information, it's, it's right out there in the cove. And, you know... I was really, I couldn't wait. When we started talking about doing this, this sermon series on hope, I was super excited. God said, Brian, I've got some things I want you to talk about. He put it in my heart. And so I started getting, you know, writing things down on pieces of paper and thinking about it. And the four of us are talking. And, and I, I was really, really excited because hope is so important. First, for people who have gone through uh, depression and who have mental illness and who have been alcoholics, all of those things, of course, are me. I was a pretty dysfunctional person. Hope plays a big part in your life, okay? And hope, it becomes real. It becomes manifest. It becomes life-changing. I'm standing here in front of you telling you, um, you know what my story is, so many of you, that the only thing that got me through is, is hope and in Jesus Christ. And so I wanted to share that. I wanted to help redefine what that was like in your life. And this week, it was my turn to share. So I was psyched about it. But almost from the get-go, it was clear that the devil did not want me to share this message, okay? Everything was going wrong this week. I, I had some dental work. I had a bad reaction to Novocaine, and I was in excruciating pain. That entire day was lost, you know. Had, the doctor gave me some Percocet, and I, you know, whatever, and I had to take one of those. And, of course, that knocked me out. So that day was gone. That was post that day. And then my kids got strapped. I'm like, oh, no. And so you feel bad about them, and they're keeping you up all night. And more importantly, I'm like, don't breathe on me. I have to preach this weekend. 
All right? So I, I'm dodging that bullet. God put a little bit of that God antibacterial stuff on me, and I didn't get a strep throat, not wherever it is yet. So I'm good there. All right, lost another day. And then uh, uh, Friday night, I'm going to go home. My wife is working. She has this thing going on all week, so she's super busy. I got the kids. So I'm going to go home Friday night, get them fed and off doing their thing, and then I'm going to work on my sermon. I got to uh, get the water out of the tank here first. And so I start to let the water out, get it all down. I said, oh, let me get the last bit out. And believe it or not, like 50 gallons of water weighs a lot more than you think it would. And uh, I guess I found out it weighs about eight pounds per gallon. So I'm trying to lift up, you know, whatever, eight times four, 30, 320 gallons. That's pretty good math, huh? 320 gallons of water, and my back lost the battle. And uh, so I felt that, you know, that thing in your lower back when it just goes... And I was like, oh, <laughs> and I couldn't breathe, crawled in, night shot. Ah! So Saturday, Saturday's the day I'm going to prepare my message. Yesterday, I'm telling you, okay? Yesterday, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to get it done. And so I get the kids all settled in the office over there and I come in here and I turn some of the lights on and I get my little script out here that I've been diligently working on in between um, many crises. And I have my, brought my dog to work and she's, she's, she's following me around everywhere and she sits right down here in front of me. And I'm gonna, I said, okay, Zena, I'm going to preach this message to you. Let me know if I go. And she says, okay. I don't know if she really said, okay, if it was just the Percocet I took from my back. But whatever, you know, she was talking. And um, <laughs> God can do amazing things. Uh, and so I sit here. I get the lights on. I get my script in front of me, right? And I'm like, okay, here already, God, I'm going to preach the word. I say the first sentence, I look out, my dog comes down, sits right in front of me and does her business right there on the stage. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, she's editorializing right there. That's what I think of your message. Okay, let's start from scratch. So today we're going to be in probably the least, on the surface, the least hopeful book in the Bible. So... It's just sort of like sherbet that you eat to cleanse your palate, you know, before you get to the good stuff. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes. Uh, as you can see in your um, sermon notes, you got the majority of the verses in there. If you want to follow along, I'm going to be jumping around. Um, it's uh, Old Testament, about halfway through. Um, reportedly written by Solomon or somebody who put together Solomon's uh, uh, writings. And it's uh, wisdom literature. And I'll just read the first bit from chapter 2. Verses 10, 11, and 17. Give you a little flavor. He says, uh, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, so I hated life because the work that I had done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it, meaningless. The chasing after the wind, meaningless. To understand a little bit about Solomon, he was born with a silver spoon, obviously. He had it all from the moment he came out of the womb. No pleasure no amenity of life was barred from him, and he took pleasure in, 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 in all these things. And he built all these things. And he wasn't just one of those idle rich kids, you know. He was, 
He was into learning. He sat down with the best teachers of the time. He got wisdom. He had some knowledge dropped on him. All right? He was building gardens. He had bling like you wouldn't believe, man, this guy had it all. Women, he had them. Come on. He was the king. He had everything he could want. And as he says, he worked for a lot of it. It wasn't like it was just being thrown at him, although some of it was. He had a lot of, you know, he started out pretty good in life. But he continued to amass all these things and all his toil and all his hard labor. And in the end, he looks at it and he says, it's nothing. It's meaningless. All this. What is it? It's not bringing me the fulfillment of the joy that I thought it would. Does this sound familiar to any of you? Of course it does. This is, nothing's changed. As he says, there's nothing new under the sun. He had it all. But when he looks back on it, he says, meh, you know, meh. That's all he had to say. Meh, this is pretty bad. This is kind of like an old guy talking to us. He's looking back on his life and he's trying to tell us, don't make the mistakes I made. Don't put your worth and your fulfillment in these things. Even the things you think you work hard for, in the end, what are they? Death is inevitable. You're reading this book and you're going, wow. And amazingly enough, this book was one of those books when they were putting together the Hebrew uh, Bible and when they were later putting together the Old and New Testament for the Christian Bible, they weren't sure about putting this book in the canon because it was not like anything else that was written. It was written from a man's point of view by a man saying, this world is not so great. It didn't have anything in there about Israel or prophecy or history or the covenants or the law. There's none of that in there. It's all about life, man's life, his achievements, and ultimately his disappointments. But the amazing thing about this book is that it resonates when you read it, it resonates because you've been there. Even if you haven't gotten all the things that you wanted in life, you've gotten some things in life and realized, hmm, it really, it really wasn't the answer, was it? This, this new car wasn't the answer. This job wasn't the answer. It's great. I don't mind having these things. But it ultimately is not the answer. And if you're not a Christian yet, you find, what if I die tomorrow? What does any of this stuff matter? And so what you see is this book, it really resonates across cultures. It really resonates across religions. And even people who are not religious, like the author uh, Thomas Wolfe, you guys might know him. He wrote Bonfire of the Vanities. Probably got the title from this, from this book, from Ecclesiastes. He also wrote The Right Stuff and some other books. And he says this, it's pretty interesting. And the, I'm pretty sure he's an atheist. He says, Of all I have seen or learned... This book seems to me the noblest, the wisest, the most powerful expression of man's life on this earth, and also the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. I'm not given to dogmatic judgments in the matter of literary creation, but if I had to make one, I would say that Ecclesiastes is the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known, and the wisdom expressed in it is the most lasting and profound. It speaks to us because it is so true. It's relevant for today. You see, in, in the book, you're reading through it, and you're like, man, he could have ripped this right out of the headlines. 
He sees bad people doing things in the world. He sees criminals being released to go out and, 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 and commit more crimes. He sees crooked politicians. He sees bad leaders. He sees uh, what materialism does to a society. All these things. It's relevant. What profit hath he says this? He goes, What profit hath a man of all his labors which he taketh under the sun? He says, No, it's vanity. Vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity. He uses the word 38 times. Vanity means futility. It means meaninglessness. Vapor, something that just vanishes. It's chasing after the wind. He opens this book and he gives three, he gives three uh, uh, observations. He says, nothing is really new. There's nothing really new under the sun. Nothing is understood. We don't really know what we think we know. And in the end, as he looks at it, he says, no life is worth living. And you're reading this and you're saying, why is this in the Bible? But he's trying to make a point. And he has four arguments to back this up. He says, listen, life is monotonous. True? It can be. Wisdom is vanity. Wealth is futility. And life ends in death. All of us face it. But you see, Solomon's a pretty wise guy, or else they wouldn't have his book in the Bible, right? He wrote Proverbs as well. And he realizes all these things are true. All these things. Wealth, wisdom, life itself are meaningless, separate from God. If there is no God, there is no meaning to life. If life is just a set of predetermined things that are programmed, pre-programmed by our DNA, by the universe, by the laws of physics, then life has no meaning. You go through it, things happen to you, you die. End of story. But if you don't have God, if you don't have God, if you have God, these things that you, you gain in your life, you can gain wealth, you can use them. God will tell you how to use them in a way that will further his kingdom. Your wisdom is real wisdom. When you get wisdom from God, when he drops that kind of wisdom on you, that's real wisdom. That's the kind of thing that you can program your life with, that you can teach to others to make their lives better. That's real wisdom. But that wisdom comes from God. It doesn't come from man's wisdom. Life is meaningless, is what he's trying to say, separate from God. So Solomon does something here. He says, I'm going to ask you guys to do four things for me, and this is how you can try and lead your life a little bit better. He says, the first thing you need to do is look up. Look up to God in heaven and understand that he's sovereign. The next thing you need to do is look within and celebrate recovery. I've talked to you guys about this in other circles. When you look within, you look at what's going on in here, man. What do I got that's going on inside of me? I need to be honest. I need to do a self-appraisal. i got to figure these things out because they're ruling my life. These bad things, these good things, they all affect my life in one way or another, and I need to understand what's going on. The next thing we need to do is look ahead. We talked a lot about this in the last sermon. We leave what is behind. We leave the past in the past. We've dealt with it. It got us to this point, but we are not going to carry this baggage forward, and we are going to work forward for the plan that God has for us. And that's what we're going to do. 
But here's the last thing, and this is a really important thing that Solomon says. You remember how miserable you were before you had God in your life? Well, there's lots of people out there, so you got to look around. you got to... Listen, you wouldn't wish that kind of pain on your worst neighbor, would you? You would? Well, for a second, and then you'd realize you're a Christian and they can't do that anymore. You'd be going... He's watching. No, you look around, you see other people who are in the same straits as you, and you say, listen, I've been there. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have a meaningless life. I know what it's like to feel like, mm, this is as good as it's going to get. Let me tell you, if you want your life to have meaning, here's what I want you to do. We've all been frustrated, like, like Solomon says. He says, life is useless. It's all useless. You spend your life working. What do you have to show for it? The world just stays the same. True, it does. You get frustrated. You bang your head against the wall. Things never seem to change. Why can't I figure this out? Solomon says, stop trying. Look up. Ask God. Look for the answers there. Not in the wall that your head keeps banging against. When you're tired, the sun rises. It goes down, right? The wind blows round and round, back again. Every river flows into the sea. Then the water returns where the river began, and it starts all over again. The circle of life, yay, yay, the Lion King. It's great when it's in a Disney movie, but when it's your life, you're like, I'm tired. So what do you do? You look within. What is it in my life that I'm wasting my time on? What kind of things do I need to shed so that I have enough energy to do the things that God wants me to do? We're all real busy. There's only 24 hours in the day. There's a rat race going on, and you're tired, and you realize you're just getting more and more tired, and nothing is changing. You're not getting anything out of it. You have these incremental successes. Because why? Because you're unfulfilled. No matter how much we see we never sat, we're never satisfied, no matter how much we hear. We're not content. History merely repeats itself. It's true. That's why he could write that book 3,000 years ago, and it's still true today. Because so many of us are unfulfilled because we are looking for the wrong things. We're looking for meaning outside of God. We're not looking ahead for the things that he wants us to do. He wants us to fill these things up. He wants us to ask him what these things need to be. He wants us to get rid of these things. He's giving us a great guidebook. And we should follow Solomon's advice up to a point. But you have to understand, so much of what Solomon is saying, you can get anywhere. Because Solomon lived in Old Testament times. So we can only only follow him so far. And his advice is good. And it was as good as they were going to get in the Old Testament. Romans 8.20 says, For creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. We live in a fallen world. The world was fallen. The world was stained with sin. The hope that creation itself would be liberated from bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. You see, in the Old Testament, under the law, 
It was death. It was better to obey the law than to not. Your life would get better, but only to a certain point. You see, in Old Testament times, Solomon only had so much hope. They hoped that they could do well enough in this life so that when they died, and understand, when you died Old Testament pre-Jesus times, you went to hell. Because we were all covered in sin because of what Adam did. So they hoped that their time in hell wouldn't be too long. They hoped that the Messiah would come, change the whole paradigm, and that then they would then be taken up into heaven. That was their hope. That was the best hope they had. Now we need to throw out that hope. That's the world's vision of hope. That's the hope like, man, I'm late from work. I'm going to have to speed. I hope I don't get a ticket kind of hope. That's wishful thinking hope. We need to redefine hope. And we need to redefine it. It's not words anymore. You see, you see, hope is not words anymore. Hope is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we, listen to this, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in it. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us because you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, when we were in the Old Testament times, Christ died for us. He had one version of hope. We're on the other side of it. And it's true and it's, it's attainable, and it's something you can have. And if, if, you, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life right now, hopefully by the, end of this, by the end of this sermon, things will have changed. That God will have spoken to you. And I'm going to give you some good reasons why I think you should listen. Because this hope is real. Colossians 1, 26 to 29. I'll read it. I don't think it's in your thingy. The mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This, ministry, this mystery that they didn't have in the Old Testament. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles and the, glory, the glorious riches of this mystery. We know, we have the glorious riches of this mystery. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Christ in you. In here. The hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend, Paul said, with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. You see, it's not just enough to define hope. And this is the point I want to make. It's not enough to define hope as an expectation. There's lots of things that we expect that aren't always good. I can expect to get yelled at my wife for leaving the toilet seat up. <laughs> Expectations have to come with something in order for it to qualify as hope. Yeah. 
expectation in the case of what we know in Jesus Christ comes with a desire. We desire him. We desire a good expectation. We desire a holy expectation. And more than that, more than just this expectation, more than just this, this, this desire, we have an assurance. That's the hope we have. Listen to what the scripture says. I boast in hope. You don't boast in something you hope to get. You boast in something you have. When you have it, and that's what you have, when you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he lives inside of you. Christ in you. Listen to that. Christ is in you. The very hope that changes the world, the very hope that raised him from the dead lives inside of you. That is the power that's working inside of you. That's the hope we have as Christians. That's the hope we have on the other side of this equation that Solomon didn't have. Now, I hope I've got that in your brains, but maybe if I give you a few things, you'll get it into your bones and you'll start to believe me. You'll start to use it. You'll start to tap into these things. Got to use it or lose it. Well, not in this case. Once you get through salvation, you can't lose it. But if you use it, it's a lot better, okay? Okay, focus on the eternal. Therefore, we do not lose heart. This is what we talked about in the last thing, kingdom and culture, focusing on the eternal. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, all the stuff in front of us, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what you got to do, the first thing you got to do, if you want to really start to see this hope unleashed in your life, and I think most of us do, is pray. All right? You've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. I'm reading this book about uh, uh, the 33 miners. They made a movie about it just recently. Uh, about what happened. At the mine, these 33 guys in Chile, you might probably remember watch, watching this on TV back in 2010, how the world came together to save these guys. And this mine they were working in was a piece of you-know-what. I mean, it's 150 years. They really have no mining standards. Uh, for the last 150 years, this thing has been mined, and they made it into Swiss cheese, right? They mined everything. Even the support pillars, they'd be like, hey, that's got some gold in it. Let's go get it out. One guy's like, that's the support pillar, <laughs> but it's got gold in it. All right, well, let's take it out then. And so they're mining this whole thing. And people die all the time in this mine, okay? This mine is a death trap. They have to pay these guys extraordinary wages just to get people to go in there. Apparently, they could only get 33 because that's how people were going in there that day. So they got them down there, way down underground, 2,300 feet underground, way down there, okay? They're way underground, and all of a sudden, the mine collapses. And this isn't just your regular old you know, Scooby-Doo mine collapse where some rocks come down and they eventually dig themselves out with, you know, I don't know, with something, a McDonald's Happy Meal toy. This is a really, really bad cave-in. How bad was this cave-in? Well, the mountain broke. That's how bad the cave-in was. A, eight, an 800-foot-tall, 400-foot-wide, 700,000-ton piece of, of the mountain broke off and... Trap these guys in the bottom. They're trying to get out, right? And everywhere they go, boom, 
They run into this big giant rock. Well, I we'll just go this way. Boom, no. Rock's there. It's a big rock. They're not getting around it. The guys from above are going in these ventilation shafts. What do they keep running into? The big rock. They start to do these seismic things, right? And try to figure out where they go. Oh my gosh, well, we're never going to get them out. Why? Because there's an 800 foot thick piece of rock in between us and them. There's no, there's no space. There's no air pockets. It's just solid granite. How are we going to get them out? The guys down below, they're thinking, we got food for two days. Two days for four people, we've got food. There's 33 of us. The math is not good. They're going to starve to death. About 90 degrees in there, 100% humidity. They've got water, but there's not enough food. They arranged, you know, they figured things out. You know, they did the best they could to try and come up with some structure. They even had a, um, somebody was doing mass in there, praying. And there was one guy, they said his story, and he said he wasn't even, I said, listen, I was never a religious person. I, never, I didn't know the God thing. I wasn't really religious, but I'm thinking... If there was ever a time to pray, this might be it. <laughs> and he said to himself, I didn't even know how to pray. I didn't know how to do it. You know? So I just kind of opened my mouth. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, the Scripture says, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through our wordless groans. This guy's groaning to God. He has no idea. Certainly doesn't have any hope. He thinks it's all over. And he says something happened. He started praying, didn't even know how, but the words started coming out of his mouth. And something changed inside of him. And the whole way he saw his captivity, the whole way he saw his present situation changed. You see, even... Even if we don't have any hope, even if for whatever reason we are in the darkest, deepest place in our life, we begin to dialogue with God. God hears our groans. And he shines hope. And hope can spring up. And I know what that's like. The second thing we can do is serve. And I'll tail these two things together, you see, because somebody who is like me who's suffered from really bad bouts of depression, when you're in the bottom of this, this hole like these guys are, and you look up, you really, you've, you've been looking so long, you really don't even see any hope anymore. Forget the light of the tunnel. It doesn't look like there's anything up there, and it wouldn't matter because you've tried to climb up the sides of this thing so many times and fallen back down into this pit, and you are in the bottom of it, and you're not even sad anymore. You're just done. I know what that depression's like. It's going to be coming on some of you who suffer from this same thing here with all this darkness and with all this cold. And I know what it's like, but I'm here to tell you there is hope. I'm standing up here telling you there's hope. I used to live in a car. Literally. There's hope. There's hope for you, but you can't just do it sitting still. God needs you to talk to him and God needs you to serve him. Serve him in whatever small and insignificant way you think. Give him your heart if that's the only way you can serve him, but serve. If you're already a person who's not prone to, and you're already serving and you're in it and you're, you're fine, but you know, there's, you've got a little stagnant thing going on in your heart, jump in with both feet and serve. Do whatever. 
Serve your neighbor. Serve in kids' church. It doesn't matter where you serve, but serve God with whatever you have to serve him with. And hope will continue to grow. And then give. Give. Giving is a spiritual act of worship. Giving takes faith. Giving, especially of your money, when you don't think you have a lot of it, setting yourself up to tithe, to give weekly or monthly or whatever it takes. Sometimes it's very, very hard because you don't even know how you're going to rub the two pennies together in the end. But by that spiritual act of worth, uh, worship, you start to give of time, of treasure, of blood, whatever it is, you're giving to the glory of God and hope again springs up inside of you. Praying, serving, giving, and then the most important thing you can do, more important than anything else, is sharing Jesus Christ. Because not only is it good for you to share Jesus Christ. Well, let me ask you this. How many of you out there when you've gotten the chance to share Jesus Christ, was sad afterwards. No. I mean, getting to the point where you want to share him is kind of, <laughs> can get kind of, you know, you're like, oh, you're looking at the ground, you know, scratching it, thinking about, well, how am I going to talk to this person? That part can be a bummer. I understand that. But once you actually get to share, when somebody comes up and they say, listen, Terry, Martin, you're so excited. Jocelyn, you're so excited. What is it about you guys that makes you so happy, that gives you so much hope? And you say, aha, fish on. And you look them straight in the eye and you say, because Oklahoma beat Baylor yesterday. That's why. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Jesus, what makes you happy? Jesus, you're sharing God. This is so important. And you know why this is so important? Because you know these other people are stuck in the same place you used to be. They're stuck in this place that Solomon was before he realized that everything disconnected from God is meaningless. Even the things in their life that should have meaning, the love of their children, the love of their wife, all these things which should come naturally with meaning. When you live in a nihilistic sense, when you live in this materialistic world, and you realize that, oh, I guess I'm just going to die one day. All of us are just programmed to die. That's the way it is when it's meaningless. All these things that should bring you joy won't bring you joy. You don't want them to be on that side of it. The other thing is you don't want them to go to hell. And that's a very real outcome. A kid who came up to me afterwards, after the first service, and he said, you know, there's this guy, this neighbor of mine, and he just, he just all of a sudden, he was doing really great, and, and things changed in his life, and he just died, just like that. We weren't expecting it, and I thought everything was great in his life. And he's asking me these questions. I knew he was asking for a why, and I said, you know what? There's no answer for that. And any answer I could give you probably isn't going to help you, but I tell you, something's, something's clicking in my mind. As you're telling me the story, you know what God is telling me? He's telling me to tell you is that there's a very real outcome for all of us. All of us are going to die and you don't know when it's going to happen. And you need to make peace with God right now. Not only because it's going to make your life a ton better if you do live for however much longer you have to live on this earth, but also if you die. You know what it says in Dante's Inferno when the guys are about to go into hell? You know what that sign said? Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. My child asked me a couple of weeks ago as we're lying in bed, do the people who go to hell have hope of one day getting to heaven? I said, no. I know that's a rough thing to tell your nine-year-old, but it's the truth. 
There's very real consequences to these things we do in life. This life is short. Don't make the wrong choice. This is one of those times where you go, oh, why are you scaring me into believing in Jesus? I'm not scaring you. I'm just telling you what the truth is. I spent the last 30, 40 minutes telling you about all the great things. There is a downside in this life and in the one to come. I'm going to bring the band up and we'll finish with this. For in this hope we were saved, the scripture says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope's what they already have, but we hope for what we do not have, and we wait for it patiently. And here's the great thing about hope, and that I was good. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as your Lord and your Savior, that hope changes. Your definition of hope changes. Hope comes to live inside of you, and it's great. Life is awesome. Things still happen to you, but guess what? You're not doing it alone. Life has ultimate meaning. And then one day, you know what? You die, your soul goes up to heaven. Awesome. Things are great in heaven. I'm this soul up here and I'm experiencing God. I have so much hope. This is the greatest. But that's not, that's not even the end of it. No. One day, Jesus Christ is going to come back. You're going to be reunited with your body in the new creation. And you're going to experience God in a whole new way. And it's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. It's not harp playing, I guarantee you, unless you really like harp playing. That's what's in store for you. What's on the other side we just talked about, if you don't? Don't leave here today, okay? Don't leave here. And here's what Paul says in the end. He says, for I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither in the present, nor in the future, nor any powers, nor the height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing, once you have that hope in your, in here, and in here, once you have that hope in there, nothing can take that away. Your soul is bought and paid for. You've been made not guilty. Your transgressions are washed away by the cross, by the blood, because of what he did. Done. Start living a better life right now. Prepare for the greatest adventure of all time for eternity. Don't leave this room. Don't leave this room if you know people, but you're already a Christian. If you're already a Christian and you know people in your life who don't have hope, if you know people who don't have Jesus Christ in their hearts, make a commitment today that when you leave this room, sometime you're going to find a way soon to talk to these people. And if it means thinking, you know what, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and I'm going to feel really bad if I never shared Christ with them. Or they could get hit by a bus. Whatever. But I really want to talk to the people who are in here right now who don't have Jesus Christ. But you heard something today. God spoke to you. He's moving in your heart. The Holy Spirit is moving you to accept him, to accept the truth, to accept this free gift of salvation by grace, to accept hope, to accept eternal life, to accept all that creation has to offer. It can be yours. You can tap into it and you can do it today. You don't have to wait come down here and you can pray with the people you can say I want that that's what I want come down there's going to be people down here who are praying who they want to pray with you there'll be people on the coffee ship who want to pray for you if you're on watching right now on the web at home guess what do it get down on your knees in the living room and say God 
please. I trust in your son. I want that hope to live inside of you. Let's pray for those people. Let's pray for them right now. Let's pray for the people in this room who really need to accept Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we pray for them. Lord, we ask you, move these people. We love them. We care for them. There are our friends, there are neighbors, there are husbands and wives, our brothers and sisters. And we want them to have the hope that we have in our lives. We want them to see the difference, but we understand, Lord, that only they can make that choice. And it can be scary, and it can be frightening, and I don't want to walk down in front of a bunch of people. I will be too embarrassed to do it. But guess what? Everybody in this room, everybody in heaven, the angels themselves, are praying for you to make that choice right now. We want you to be a part of the family right now. Stop living the old life. Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Start living a new life. And Lord, we thank you. For those of us who have already made that decision, we thank you so much that we have the the responsibility. We thank you so much that we have the commission to be able to share your great love for us and the great hope that is you, Jesus Christ. We ask these things, as always, in your most blessed name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.